Thank you for listening today. We hope that this message from God's Word will help you to grow in your knowledge of God and your relationship with Him. At Lucy Baptist Church, we are fully committed to loving God, loving people, and making disciples. Now here's today's message. With your Bibles open there to Hebrews chapter 2, we're going to continue our series of messages. And having read our text now, let's uh, take a moment to pray together. Father, we are so grateful for this opportunity for worship. Lord, we say again an affirmation of what we have sung uh, each of these worship songs this morning that the Lord Jesus uh, is uh, fairest of all. We know, Lord Jesus, your name is wonderful. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are the majestic God seated at the right hand uh, or the throne on the throne of God. We thank you and praise you that you are God, that you are Lord, that you are worthy, Lord Jesus. That, that one day every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And we thank you by the work of your Spirit for every child of God who has heard your voice. And Lord, uh, thank you for each of us who have, by your grace, have had the privilege of hearing the gospel, of repenting and believing. And so, Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to to worship, to do something here that we're going to spend all eternity doing. And we continue in the spirit of worship now as we open the Word of God together. Once again, we do pray for the work of your spirit in the preaching of your word. Uh, Lord, so we ask, I ask for that enabling for myself to be able to preach clearly and, and accurately and faithfully this passage that you've given to us here in, in, the, in the wonderful book of Hebrews. God, I pray for your people this morning. I pray that they will surrender to you anew and afresh and that every thought they have will be taken captive to you and by your spirit and that you will give them the special gift of illumination to understand your word, to receive your truth, and Lord, to apply your truth, Lord, to their personal lives, uh, to our church. Uh, Lord, we we pray this morning that again, we will allow you to speak new and fresh uh, through us, to us through your word, by your spirit this morning. Lord, we also would lift up to you those in our midst this morning who've never repented, never turned from their sin, never placed their faith in Christ. You know those individuals, you know who they are. Uh, Lord, we may not know who each of them is, but you do. And so we pray that you will do a work in their heart and awaken them to their need for Christ. And I pray they'll be liberty by the work of your spirit, that you will again overcome their resistance, Lord, uh, to draw them to yourself and to save them this morning. We thank you for what you're going to do. Bless this time we have in the word today. And again, be glorified uh, in the outcome of what you designed it to do in our hearts and lives today. We love you, exalt you, and praise you in Jesus' great name. Amen. A 19-year-old Christian young man wrote uh, 70 resolutions to guide and direct um, his life. And I want to name just a few of those. One of them, number seven, was resolved never to do anything which I should be afraid to do if it were the last hour of my life. Number nine was resolved to think much on all occasions of my dying and of the common circumstances which attend death. Number 17 of those resolutions was resolved that I will so live, that I will live so as I shall wish I had done 
when I come to die. Now, some may think a 19-year-old would spend so much time thinking about his death and the day of his death and eternity. Yes, and this, this young man by the name of Jonathan Edwards, who was uh, mightily used of God in the first great awakening back in the 1700s, uh, he obviously, even as a young man, uh, came to realize that to make the greatest impact on, uh, on this life and now, we must live for the next and live in light of eternity. And that day when we will stand before the Lord and we will spend eternity with him. So he thought much on that. And, and I believe we can learn much from Jonathan Edwards in these resolutions. Uh, and even this passage today we're going to consider, uh, I believe will give us uh, some truths concerning that. We entitled the message today, Man's Destiny Lost in Adam But Restored in Jesus. And I believe we'll see that from this passage today. You know, we said in our first message from Hebrews in the introduction that uh, it's believed that the recipients of the letter of Hebrews, though, we, uh, though we're not told exactly, that likely because of the language of the, the book of Hebrews, it's believed that it was written probably to, a, to perhaps a small church uh, near Rome that is made up mostly of Jewish uh, believers, believer people who were uh, Jews who had come to faith in Christ. There was a, a good number of Jewish people in, in, in this area of Rome. Uh, and again, because of obviously the understanding that they had, as, as the writer would write th them concerning things that Jewish people would have understood, that seems to be clear. But again, they, in this situation, uh, in, in the area of Rome, were beginning to experience in increased persecution from Rome. We know, of course, as we read in uh, uh, early days, we know that, that believers, uh, new believers had experienced persecution from Jews, but also there was an increasing persecution now taking place uh, from the Roman government. And so, as we said, one of the things they were being uh, tempted with in this persecution, and by the way, the worst of it was yet to come under Nero. They would uh, bring even greater persecution. You read about that, about the atrocities and the unimaginable suffering that many of these believers uh, went through. And so, again, they, these believers would uh, be tempted, some of them obviously being tempted to even return to Judaism. Uh, and so, that's as we've seen and we continue to see in that in this passage they're being challenged in their suffering uh, to remain faithful and to hold fast to the Lord Jesus Christ. So what counsel would the, the writer of, of Hebrews give to these struggling believers? And by the way, as we think about, about that, and we, we'll see some, uh, see some of that message throughout the book of Hebrews, we know many believers today, again, as these early believers, suffer tremendous persecution. In many countries of the world today, of course, it's, it's illegal. In mus Muslim countries and communist countries, many believers suffer unimaginable persecution for their faith. We in the Western world, particularly in the United States, we know little of this, uh, at least at this point. 
Uh, we do suffer persecution in various kinds of ways, but so many of our brothers and sisters in Christ suffer tremendous persecution for claiming the name of Christ, even to assemble for worship. Uh, they, they suffer, as these early believers did, the loss of perhaps of their job and the, the being ostracized by their family, even some, uh, their families having a, uh, going ahead and counting them as dead, in some cases having a funeral for them and considering them dead, no longer to even associate with them. We can't imagine what many of them uh, go through today. But we must recognize, even as we look at this passage today, what it's like for those kinds of believers today and what, it, what maybe even in our own future believers may, may face. So what would he tell them in, in this kind of suffering? Would he say to them, well, as the popular uh, Joel Osteen says, you can have your best life now? Uh, no, uh, that's not the message of the, of the book of Hebrews. Uh, in fact, he, uh, he urges them to fix their eyes upon Jesus because the best is yet to come. He's going to encourage them with that truth uh, from the word of God. And again, as we said, one of the, one of the themes uh, of Hebrews is, uh, is to hold fast to hope. Because, because again, though we are co-heirs with Christ now, there's a, there's a tension of, uh, of between uh, uh, that which is now and that which is yet to come. And, and in Hebrews chapter 6, 11, we'll see this same theme over and over again. He said, and we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end until the end again we have already said from the early pages here in the early verses of hebrews that that believers are called to persevere and the perseverance of the saints is yes is uh, eternal security but it also we are called to be faithful and obedient to persevere uh, until the end and christ and the indwelling holy spirit make that possible but we still have a responsibility to be faithful and to persevere. And again, he encourages believers that we must endure our present sufferings by focusing on the glory ahead in Christ. Again, let me repeat, we endure our present sufferings by focusing on the glory ahead in Christ. Well, certainly though our context is different, and though our suffering differs from these early believers, even where we are today, individually, and where we are as a church today, there's, there, God has a word for us, some of you as, uh, as believers, and uh, are enduring suffering. And, and though, again, it may be of a different sort, uh, we recognize this truth for us as well, that we endure our present sufferings by focusing on the glory ahead in Christ. Now, in, in verse, uh, verses 1 to 4 of chapter 2, he exhorted them to pay attention so that, we, that they would not drift in Christ. And we looked at that passage together in, in our last message here in Hebrews chapter 2. But then he, uh, he returns to address Jesus' superiority over angels. And again, that is a theme throughout the book of Hebrews is the supremacy of Christ, the superiority of Christ um, over everything and above all. And again, specifically, he's been dealing with this matter of his superiority over angels. And he's going to hear a quote from Psalm 8. 
As we said, Hebrews is the most, um, the book of the New Testament that most quotes the Old Testament passages. So he quotes from Psalm 8 to, to explain what God originally had planned for man. But now we know that sin destroyed that plan. But, but again, that God's plan for man, God's plan for humanity is restored fully in the Lord Jesus Christ. As, as John Milton in his old work entitled it, Paradise Lost, but Paradise Regained in the Lord Jesus Christ. So look with me at these verses as Blake has read, verses 5 through 10, the three truths concerning man's destiny lost in Adam, but regained or restored in Jesus. First of all, notice God's original plan for man was glorious. God's original plan for man was glorious. And uh, he begins there with verse, at verse 5. He said, for uh, it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come of which we are speaking. And, and he goes on to describe that, and we'll read more of that in a few moments. But he continues now again to deal with this matter of Jesus' superiority over angels. But, but here he's going back in this passage, and in the context of, of Psalm 8, Psalm 8 is referring to humanity. He's referring to man. And uh, he points out that God never created uh, angels to rule over the world to come. The Jews believed that angels um, had, uh, had been placed by God over the nations of the world. And there is biblical evidence for this and understanding for this. Uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 8, uh, there, that, that, that is indicated. But then also as you come to Daniel chapter 10, uh, 10 through 21, and also Daniel 12, verse 1, angels are referred to by these designations. For example, there, one is called the prince of Greece and another the prince of, A of Persia. The, and then uh, Michael is referred to as the great prince. Then when we come to the New Testament, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, Paul speaks of fallen angels as principalities and powers. Jesus, uh, Satan, of course, we know Jesus referred to Satan as the ruler of this world. So he, uh, he, he won this position uh, when Adam and Eve fell to his temptation. And ever since, angels, both good and evil, have ruled over the earth. However, as we see in this verse, in the world to come, after this one is destroyed, and after God makes a new heaven and a new earth, and King Jesus rules supreme, and we are with him, then we know that that, that time will be no more. In verse, uh, verse 6, uh, he begins uh, quoting there from, from Psalm 8, as we mentioned. And here he demonstrates that, that um, again, God's original plan for man was glorious. Uh, and notice how he says that. He begins by saying there, it has been testified somewhere. Now, you know, sometimes we use language like that. We'll say, well, somebody said... And usually if you hear me say that, it's because I forgot who said it, right? Or I don't remember who said it or where it was found. Or I may quote a verse, I'll say, well, you know, somewhere in the Bible it says. Well, that's not the language of, of, of this passage. We know, of course, one reason we know that is true is because he quotes it perfectly. And so he is, 
uh, he is not, it's not that the writer of Hebrew, who, Hebrews didn't know where this was found. But again, this was not an unusual method of, of, of quoting from Scripture, but also it just points to, as the writer of Hebrews, who by the way, we know, is anonymous, uh, again, it's just pointing to the fact that Psalm 8, as is all the Word of God, is fully inspired by God. It's the Word of God. He used man. He didn't obliterate their personalities, but he still, in the, in the final analysis, and what we have is the Word of God, the authoritative Word of God. And that's exactly what he's doing by saying it has been testified somewhere. And again, um, uh, in, in Psalm 8, in, as you go back and read Psalm 8 here, David is the human author, and he is contemplating God's vast creation with the innumerable stars as he thinks about the, the heavens and, and the, the glory of God and how they demonstrate the glory of God. And then he asks that question, and do you ever do that, by the way, as you look up at the vastness of the universe and you think about what an awesome God we have. And, and, he re- and you realize what a, what a tiny speck you feel like you are in compared to this great, vast universe that our God has created, all these billions of stars and, and galaxies and their awesomeness, and, and even Earth as such a tiny speck. And then we're such an even smaller speck. And then he, he wondered, then what is, what is man? What is the son of man. And by the way, the word son of man is a word that is used to speak of of humanity. It's used to speak of mankind. Now, it is a term that Jesus used of himself more than any other term. And even from the Old Testament, it's prophetic in relationship to the Messiah, to we know Jesus. But, But Jesus, in using this term, was showing his full identity with humanity. He was demonstrating his being fully man, fully incarnate, fully man, although also fully God. And so he marvels, the, the, the writer of the Psalm, David, marvels that, that God was mindful of us, that he thought about us in this vast, vast universe and even thought about us individually. And we know as we, we know what Jesus taught about that, about how mindful he is of us, so mindful of, of us uh, that, that he has the hairs of our head numbered and, and that he, he thinks of us, that we are, we're on his mind and he thinks of us individually and, and, and personally. And what a wonderful thought to know that as a child of God, that God is fully aware of everything about our personal lives. He is such an awesome God that he knows all about us more, far more than we know about ourselves as his children. But also that as the King James, the new King James used the word, and that he, that he would visit us. And the word there for visit translated in ESV here to care for. The word means a, a, a caring that is demonstrated. And we could think about all the various ways that God has demonstrated his care for us. We could talk about, again, as I have described, how he, how he provides for us physically and, and how God meets our needs as his children. And we could talk about you know, all the various ways God shows his care for us, especially as his children. And then again, there's just the common grace and, way, and the way in which God provides for everyone in our, in our universe. But then the greatest way of all that God has shown, actively shown his care for us is through the Lord Jesus Christ, through sending his son, that he so loved 
the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, should not go to hell for eternity, but have everlasting life. Wow, what an awesome way, unimaginable way that God has, has shown his great love for us by sending Jesus to suffer and to die for us. Well, this was an important word for these suffering believers who were suffering in their persecution and, and experiencing this to be reminded of this beautiful psalm and the truth of, of, of that. But it's an important thing for us to continue to remember as well. When we are going through our struggles and through our trials, when we are suffering persecution, to remember that our God cares for us personally and individually. And, and again, if he, the one who would see the very sparrow that would fall and that he cares about us and, 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 and beyond our imagination, he loves us and care for us, cares for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. God doesn't need us, but he loves us and he wants to fellowship with us. And he wants to walk with us. And he's done what he has done in order that he might have this relationship with us in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then notice verse 7. He says again, we're thinking about God's, God's original uh, man, plan for man, for humanity that was so glorious. In verse 7 he says, you made him for a little while lower than the angels. Now again, you, you may have a, a, your translation may say a little lower than the angels. And again, this can mean for, for a short time. That for a short time, he, he made man lower than the angels. Again, that's, it's translated the same way of, in verse 9 as he changes the direction and begins to speak and point to the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to see that that was true of him as well. Well, certainly we know that, that being, for this little while being made lower than the than the angels is not an indication of being loved less than the angels. And of course, his relationship to Jesus, it doesn't mean less significant than he's far greater. He's the creator uh, even of the angels. So what is he referring to here is he, he speaks about this. Well, I think it's sim the, simply the fact that, that we know, humanly speaking, we are limited. We are limited to the earth. And even if we, if we, uh, uh, somehow have the opportunity to take a spaceship somewhere, uh, we are still limited, aren't we? And, and, and so angels, however, are spirits. They, are, uh, they, they aren't limited in this sense of the word. And so in that sense of the word, we know that, uh, that man is, uh, for at least a little while, he says, are, are lower uh, than the angels and limited in ways that the angels are not. And some believe that if, if when God created man, that the indication here is that, that with time, maybe it wasn't true from the very beginning of creation, but that in time, that man's authority, that human's authority on the earth would have even increased and, he, and to have included even authority over the angels and even in less limitations than they, were, than they were created with. He goes on to say, you have crowned him, man, with glory and honor. God created man with great glory and honor in the garden. Uh, he, verse 8, he, he indicates that he put everything in subjection under his feet. He left nothing outside his control. Again, he describes this intended authority to, as he tells Adam there in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, as he says, 
And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the, fle- over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the, uh, of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So God created man with a glorious plan, created Adam and Eve with a glorious plan of, 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 of uh, being over having authority over all creation and gave them that responsibility as well as that wonderful privilege. That was God's wonderful plan. And so you, when you think about that, and you, we'll talk about a little more in a moment, you, you think, what in the world were Adam and Eve thinking? I mean, when they had all of that, and, and it even causes you to realize what a foolish thing that they did when they succumbed to the temptation that Satan brought their way. Uh, you know, and, and so the beauty of God's original creation, as I was thinking about the song I can only imagine that talks about heaven, of course, but, you know, we can only imagine what the beauty of God's creation was really like and what the wonder of, of the authority that God gave to, to, uh, to Adam and Eve and the wonderful plan that God had, how glorious it was from the beginning. And, and again, we can only imagine what, what that was like. You know, again, we, uh, we just uh, had the opportunity to be back, in, in, uh, Hawaii, be back in Hawaii. And if you haven't had the opportunity to go there, uh, I would say to you that uh, it's one of those things, uh, one of those parts of our earth that uh, I would say is uh, not exaggerated as to its beauty. If you've seen the beauty of it, you just marvel at the, at the beauty of, of the flowers and the trees and, and the weather that's so... Uh, seemingly uh, not perfect, but it's, uh, it's, it's very pleasant. Uh, we knew we were back in Memphis when we stepped out of the airport, you know, and uh, the, the humidity hit us, and uh, we knew we were home. Uh, but you know what? Even though that place is beautiful, you know what? They, uh, my son, our son, uh, Jared, uh, got a, a bacterial infection in the ocean that is very common, more common there, uh, they have the, what they call brown water, that, where the water flows off the mountain and goes into the ocean, and so people are more subject. So even in that, what some think is a paradise, uh, there's danger there, isn't there? And now, of course, those on the Big Island are, are many of them have lost their homes and are fleeing from their from this tor- this uh, terrible volcano. So even in that place that that some people call uh, paradise. There are obviously the indications of something that has gone badly wrong. Well, what happened? What happened to this glorious plan that God had for man? Well, that leads us to our second point, and that is that God's original plan for man was spoiled by man's fall into sin. God's original plan for man was spoiled by man's fall into sin. Notice verse 8c. We don't see a great deal about that in the passage, but we do see there. It goes on to say, now I'm putting everything in subjection to him. He left nothing outside his control. And then he says, at present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. Again, in, the, in saying this, he is saying something's happened. He, he, he points uh, a reality that, that something, not everything is in subjection. Even though God made man that way, what happened? Well, God created man to rule over creation, 
But we know now, obviously, man is not ruling over all creation. We certainly see that in, as we've mentioned, in the, in the atmosphere. Man's not ruling over the atmosphere, and everything isn't uh, in subjection to him there. We see that, of course, uh, in the uh, tornadoes, in the, the hurricanes, in the earthquakes, in the tsunamis, in the volcanoes. We did, I did a, a good bit of reading uh, in the local newspaper there while we were visiting with Jared in the hospital. They would give him a newspaper every day, and every day they'd have something else about the volcano, and on the big island and one woman who's lived there for over 30 years she said sometimes i can hear that that uh i can hear the volcano the the lava as it's uh moving and she says sometimes i i think to myself there's a dragon in my backyard uh, you know, as I thought about that, and you hear people describe the, the groaning, the, the noise of tornadoes and hurricanes and things, I thought, well, you know, in a sense, that's a, that's a literal groaning of creation that the Bible talks about, as it does in, in Romans, uh, uh, in the book of Romans. He describes that, well, look down at verse uh, 8, excuse me, Romans 8, 20, 20 and 21. He says, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and to obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. And the Bible says in that passage that all of creation groans, awaiting its redemption. And so again, we know that, that the atmosphere is not under man's authority that has been affected by the fall of sin we know even in the animal kingdom uh, the animal kingdom is not under subjection as god created it to be as we read there in genesis 1 uh, even though even the animals that we get along with pretty well some of those uh, are can be vicious can't they dogs and uh, can bite us and uh, even cats can scratch us and hurt us and they can destroy property and those are the ones we get along with best uh, but we know that that, that, that many, much of the animal kingdom is not tameable and, and, uh, and again this is all a, a result of the fall of man, the fall of sin and again when people struggle with why do these terrible things happen why do these bad things happen in our world and why doesn't God do something about that and if God people will skeptically say if God was a loving God, he wouldn't let those things to happen. But dear friend, those are a result of the fall of man, of that choice that took place there in the garden that was a rebellion against God. And we still today suffer those consequences uh, in our life. And again, the, the, uh, the, we know that took place again in the garden. It goes back when Satan tempted uh, Adam and Eve to take that fruit beginning with Eve, to eat that fruit which God told them not to eat. And he, Satan told her, you will not surely die. God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So she took it. She ate it. She gave it to Adam. He ate it too. Uh, and uh, so at that moment, sin entered the world. And again, the Bible tells us that that sin, Romans chapter 5 verse 12 says that that sin and death spread to the whole human race. Romans 5 12 said, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all Sin, And of course, this is when Satan became the ruler of this world, though still under God's authority. 
Uh, he, uh, upon this earth, uh, for this temporary time, is, is uh, called the ruler of this world. 1 John five nineteen says, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. So that's why the world is what it's like, because of sin. And the whole universe, as we said, has been affected by, by sin and is awaiting the redemption of the believer so that, they might, so that even creation might enjoy uh, freedom and being set free from this bondage of sin. So we see the effects of sin all around us, not only on creation, but we see it uh, everywhere. We see it on the family today. Again, with, with marriage, the state of marriage in our world, we see the fall uh, of man and we see sin's effects on marriage. Many today uh, choosing not to even marry and, and seeing no real purpose in marriage. And, and in, in our day, do we imagine that we'd be living in a day when, when homosexual marriage would be legalized? Uh, again, d- destroying the purpose and intent for, for which God created marriage for a man and a woman and ultimately to be a, a picture of the relationship of Christ and his church. But again, dear friend, that is uh, sin's effects. That's the fall of man, even upon marriage and the family and upon the home today. We see sin's effects. We see the fall's effects in our government. God set up government. That's one of the first institutions that he created. And, and, and yet we see its, sin, its effects. We see the fall's effects upon government. And we're living in a day and time, and we probably, many of us would rather avoid watching the news to see the the latest in the drama and, and, uh, and a, the continual corruption and the continual strife for power seemingly at any cost uh, to maintain and to gain power in our own government and all around the world, uh, the, the, the abuses of government, the corruption of government. Again, the picture and the reason, it all points back to the fall of man. It all points back to sin and the, the sinful nature in the hearts and lives of unredeemed people. People who do not know Christ. And so again, we see it there. We see it physically in our own bodies. You know, we can, we can work hard at trying to be healthy. We can try to lose weight and, or keep our weight where it should be. Uh, we can try to exercise and eat healthy and take vitamins and do all the things we're supposed to. But guess what? Uh, we're still in the battle. I visited with Miss Joanna Rosas yesterday, and and uh, she she Karen and I did, and she said, uh, you know, I'm I'm ready to go home to be with the Lord. You know, she's struggling physically and had physical problems, and and you know that's just a part of life on planet Earth. It's a result of the fall. It's a result of sin, and even whether it's personal sin or whether it's just. The, the effects of sin upon our bodies physically. Again, it affects, uh, it affects other areas. It, it affects the church. Again, when the churches, when we, we selfishly fall into disunity and, and when we care more about having things our way than we care about the eternal destiny of our neighbors and of our, of our family members, we, care, we, we, we don't care about people as we should. And we see the church decline and, and we see members who fall away and who forsake the church. And those are all things that are the effects of sin that we battle with. And, and personally, we battle with in our own church. And we struggle with those things. And we, we, uh, we, we seek God's direction. And we know that revival is possible. And we keep praying for that and seeking God for that. 
but we're, we're, we're dealing with the effects of sin uh, and the fall of man upon our world. And again, we see them even in our personal lives when we choose personal pleasure, even as believers, above the Word of God in prayer and obedience and holiness in Christ. So again, God's original plan was spoiled by man's fall into sin. But thirdly, and I'm glad we don't have to end there because we have good news, and that is God's original plan for man is restored in Jesus. It's restored in Jesus. Notice again uh, verse 9. He says, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. So again, he, he interrupts and changes direction in this verse when he says, but we see him. We see Jesus. And again, that too is a theme throughout the book of Hebrews, focusing your eyes on Jesus. Now this is a reference here when he says he was made uh, for a little while lower than the angels. This is a reference to Jesus' incarnation when Jesus came to the earth. Certainly Jesus is not inferior to angels. But again, Jesus too had physical limitations. Jesus hungered. Uh, and Jesus got thirsty. Jesus uh, was tempted. Uh, he experienced things in, in identity with us. Uh, even though he was perfect humanity, even though he was fully God, the Bible, as we'll see in Hebrews, says he was tempted in all points like as we are. And the angels whom he created ministered to him. So for a little while during this incarnation, Jesus too was physically lower than the angels. He was limited in ways that angels were not. Paul describes that humility in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. He says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. The Lord Jesus in his incarnation humbled himself becoming fully man, being born in the likeness of man. He goes on of course to say in, in this verse that he too was crowned with glory and honor. This crowning of course we know is his exaltation. He, we know as we read he, uh, Philippians chapter 2, we read on in that same passage that we just read that Jesus has now been exalted. Uh, he's exalted at the right hand of the Father and uh, he of course uh, has been given a name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father and again this 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 exaltation this crowning with glory and honor he says was possible why because of the suffering of death you see, Jesus first went, had, had to go through this suffering of death. He went through that on our behalf. Uh, and, and as he met with the disciples, or a couple of disciples on the road to Emmaus after his resurrection and spoke with them, they didn't understand the cross. They didn't understand his death. They, they, they didn't believe that. They thought Jesus, in a sense, was a failure. They didn't understand, that, uh, and, and re understand what Jesus had taught them about his death and his burial and his resurrection. 
But Jesus said to those who didn't recognize him on that road after his resurrection, he rebuked them, but affirmed to them the necessity of suffering before glory could occur. He said, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? That's Luke 24, 26. But he suffered and died, he said, so that, that by the grace of God, he might taste of death for everyone. Jesus' suffering was essential that he might taste of death for everyone. The word taste death here means to experience death to its fullest measure. Anybody who may have thought that, that Jesus uh, somehow got by even because he was God and that maybe he didn't fully un- suffer, but we know, of course, Jesus himself talked about in, in, his, in, the, in the Garden of Gethsemane before, as he was being arrested, he, he described to his disciples how he must take and receive and drink fully the, the cup of wrath, the wrath of God. So not only did he, yes, suffer physically, but even more significantly, Jesus suffered the wrath of God against sin and against sinners. He bore there our hell dead on the cross and, and, and bore our sins in his body on that cross. He drank that cup, every last drop of it. And again, he said he did that, that he might taste death for everyone. Everyone referring to all those who will experience the benefits of Christ's death through faith. That that he describes in verse 10, these many sons whom he will bring to glory. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 22, For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Truly what was lost in Adam has been restored in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible says even now, we are reigning with him. And ultimately, we will reign with him in an even more significant way one day. Well, from the moment of our repentance and faith in Christ, the Bible says we are placed in him. We are taken out of the uh, the kingdom of darkness And we are transferred into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of his dear son, Scripture says. We are now in Christ. The Bible says we are are in him. We are seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We are in Christ. Praise God for that today. That's a truth. That's a reality of what the Bible says about our position in the Lord Jesus Christ. And one day, one day perhaps very soon, We are going to catch up physically with where we are spiritually. That's what death is. That death is ultimately catching up with with where you are spiritually and positionally. You'll catch up with where you are and you'll be with Christ. Amen. And one day all of us are going to be with him forever. And that is wonderfully good news. Jesus' prayer will be answered which he prayed in John 17, 24, when he said, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. We're gonna be with Jesus, amen? That's what heaven is, is being with Jesus. And he said, he prayed that we would see his glory. And we're going to have the privilege. That prayer is going to be answered when we're with him. But what, what he's writing to the, these struggling believers and to us today is that meanwhile, meanwhile, back in 
Millington, back in Lucy, back in where you are. Meanwhile, we struggle. Meanwhile, we suffer. Meanwhile, we suffer persecution because the Bible says all who, who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. So what do we do? Well, I want to just mention some things to you very quickly in light of these things. First of all, as we struggle and suffer with persecution, in light of this passage, remember that Jesus said we would suffer. We would have tribulation. Jesus told us about this. This should not, in fact, Scripture makes it clear, this should not surprise us that we suffer. It's a part of life and that all who live godly will suffer persecution. So remember that Jesus told us that. Secondly, rely on his grace. Rely on his presence. Rely on his promises throughout the suffering that we endure. Thirdly, realize his purpose in suffering. That, that, that it, don't waste it. Realize there's a purpose for it, that God has a purpose for that, and his purpose is for you to grow in Christ's likeness. God wants to use that in your life to further conform you to the likeness of Christ. So receive that. As you receive the grace and the promises, re recognize again and realize that he has a purpose. And then also, but even more importantly, not only to grow you, but ultimately, it's for his glory. It's for his glory. So let him be glorified through that as you respond in a way that would glorify Christ and respond in the right spirit and attitude. Number four, as we suffer, focus on Jesus. Focus on Jesus. Focus on his suffering on our behalf and now his exaltation at the Father's right hand. Hebrews chapter 12. I want to read a few verses to you. Hebrews 12. He said, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Focus on Jesus. And finally, anticipate the day that we are in his presence, enjoying him forever. That's why Paul said in Colossians that we are set our mind on things above and not on things on this earth. You know what, believers? In spite of that saying that came out several years ago, we're supposed to be heavenly-minded. We're called to be heavenly-minded people so that we can be earthly good to his glory. Amen. And remember what the song says. It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Sing along. Life's trials will seem so small when we see Christ. One glimpse of his dear face, 
All sorrow will erase So bravely run the race Till we see Christ This is Pastor David Lawrence. Thank you for listening to this message. We pray that God used His Word in your life today. If you do not have a relationship with God, the Bible says you can as you turn from your sin, place your faith in Christ Jesus, His death for you on the cross and His resurrection from the dead, and surrender your life to Jesus as Lord. We'd like to invite you to join us for worship. You can find information about the times and locations for all of our gatherings on our website at lucybaptist.com. If you have any questions or if we can minister to you in any way, please call us at 901-872-0623 or email us at info at lucybaptist.com.